The car market got off to a great start this year, but recently sales slowed down. Is that because the Japanese automakers were affected by the devastating earthquake in Japan? Or could it be due to higher gasoline prices or even a slowdown in the American economy? And if it is due to higher fuel prices, what's that going to do to sales of hybrids and electric cars? Well, we're going to get some pretty good insight into all of this because joining me on today's show are some of the top analysts in the business. Jessica Caldwell is with Edmunds.com. Jeff Schuster is with J.D. Power and Associates. And Michael Robinette is from IHS Automotive. And we'll be getting into all of their insight right after this. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Thanks for joining us here in the studio with my august panel of experts. We're going to try to decipher what is going on in this automotive market right now, but let's get started. There's a whole lot of things going on. We'll get into a bunch of different topics, but let me throw this one out. Looks like car sales have been slowing down the last couple of months. Is, is this a real slowdown in the marketplace, or is it just the Japanese automakers not having enough cars on hand to sell because of the devastation of the earthquake? I think uh, from, from our perspective, when you look at what's going on, it feels like a speed bump, but I think there could be the making of something a little bit longer than that. Why do you um, say that? I think uh, there's definitely inventory shortages. There's um, lower incentive levels, higher pricing. Those are affecting things right now. But I think if you look at that combined with what's going on with the economy, the economy could be the piece that I think drags us a little bit longer than what we think it is right now. Doesn't look like it's going to happen, but it's, it's a possibility. There's been such a concentration on some of the bad news because I think earlier in the year, Q4 of 2010, there were some positive signs and I think we may have been a bit exuberant about those and didn't realize that there could be a slowdown. But we all knew, I think, that it was possible going into this year we couldn't sustain that growth. It would be somewhat of a slowdown, especially as QE2 starts to end and those programs wear off, that it would change up a bit. Yeah, I think I think the, you know, the, the ramp up that we took, the acceleration we took last year, right. we're seeing some of the payback of that as well. There's probably a little bit of consumer psyche in it, too. You know, they heard a lot of bad news about the Japanese aren't making cars anymore, so well, maybe I'll hold off until the end of the year when the inventory starts to get a little bit stronger and maybe the pricing starts to come down. So there, there's And that combined with the economy as well. I, I'm sure there's a lot of factors. We're not as concerned. I think the fuel price part of it has us a little bit more concerned but, but, but the inventory part of it, uh, in a couple months, it's all going to go away. Because when I look at sales, uh, pretty much every automaker is up except for the Japanese. In fact, two of them, I think, are up now, Suzuki and Mitsubishi. Mm -hmm. but, big so, sellers. <laughs> they're not big sellers at all. That's right. But the, the point being is, geez, we know why all the other Japanese are down. So is it really just a lack of Japanese-branded cars that have seen the sales the, the annualized rate slow down. There's some of that, but I think the, the, the D3 could have really put their foot on the pedal if they wanted to. D3 and being the Detroit, the Detroit 3. Mm -hmm. could, have, could have really accelerated volume if they really wanted to. But I think they look at the opportunity and said, well, if they're not going to have a lot of inventory, why am I going to put money on the hood in terms of incentives? I'm going to pull back a little bit. And that's exactly what happened over the last couple of months, at least last two months. Yeah, I think it's something we've been hoping for and, and suggesting that this would be the case coming out of the, the deep recessions and, and all the restructuring, that there would be a level of discipline that remains in the industry. Um, and it appears that, that was, that's holding right now, where they, they didn't throw a lot of money on beyond what normal programs were out there and uh, you know, kind of held, held the line. 
That's good to hear that that discipline is there. That's been a big worry for everybody in this town. Of you know, do they go back to their old had bad habits? Exactly. I think they're getting used to making money now. Yeah, <laughs> which is a good thing. Yeah. But uh, you raised a great question or a point there, Michael. That what happens when uh, the Japanese automakers restore their manufacturing? Volume starts to come back. Are we going to see Toyota, Honda, Nissan at all? When they do have the inventory, say, hey, we got to get everyone back in the showroom and we start seeing all kinds of deals come again? I think especially Toyota. I think Toyota's going to come back and basically say, we're, we're back. And I think in some respects, we're already kind of back, but they're, they're gaining more momentum, especially on the electric car side. Most of, most of those products are built over in Japan, so, and that's been in short supply. But like Camrys and Corollas, been, been pretty strong. I mean, inventory's not great, but it's enough for people not to think that there's there's no product out there. But when they come back and all the inventory is back where it needs to be, I think that they're going to put their foot on the pedal because uh, they got some lost time to make up for. I think they have to send the signal. Um, and we've started to see the marketing of that with the uh, the discussions in the media about uh, we're coming back to normal levels of production. They keep, keep sending that message, and I think that's starting to resonate. Uh, much the way it did on the opposite end of it when there was a perceived inventory shortage. And I think inventory is not quite as low as I think most of us uh, expected to be at this point. Yeah, and I think dealers are screaming for that message, too, because they're no going to say, hey, listen, I mean, we're not going to have an inventory issue if no customers come to the showroom because they think prices are high and right. we have no inventory. We have so vehicles, but we, we, can, have, we can't Yeah, exactly. No but I think it's a little lumpy, though, because I think in certain areas, I think there's more availability, like in terms of Corolla, Camry. I think coastal areas, there's probably less. So I think it is a bit lumpy, but I would expect you know, fairly good incentives coming into the summer for Toyota, especially Labor Day weekend. I think that'll be a big one for them because they're looking for a reason to blow the roof off. And I think that, you know, could be their opportunity. They could be at the right level a little bit. I think we'll see a little on 4th of July too, though. Do the D3, as, as Michael calls they're them. They're the big three now, according to May. Yeah. <laughs> May sells. They're the big they were three. They the big three. Yeah. Uh, do they maintain their discipline when the Japanese start having all these blowout sales? Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard because we saw GM lose their discipline earlier in the year. I mean, of course, they wanted to, they said they wanted to accelerate some of their growth and see what they can do, but they had some super, you know, really high incentives too. So I could imagine we could get to a point at the end of the summer, or early fall, where there's price wars that break out because of the, uh, you know, increased availability of vehicles. And, you know, obviously what's going to happen if Toyota starts to move the needle, others are going to have no choice to follow. And, and some of those segments are just so competitive right now. When you look at small cars, uh, compact, subcompact, there's there's still demand out there. There's still pent up demand out there uh, from the past few years. And I think that there you know there could be a a price story. I keep hearing suppliers say that they want a nice gradual increase in car sales because they say they're straining at the seams to try and meet production. If all of a sudden this thing blows wide open come this fall. Is that going to be good or bad for the industry? Um, well, certainly, there's there, on the electronic side, it's still in very, very short supply. I don't think we can fool ourselves and think that we can go back up to a 15 or 16 million unit production market, you know, from the 12 and a half, 13 area. That, that's just not going to happen. There, there is not enough product out there on the component side to feed that kind of market. Although something that's been lost in, in, in all of this discussion that the industry has been having for a couple of years is content has gone up tremendously. So when content goes up, it means, it means certainly... Explain what you mean by that, content going up. Uh, your, your average vehicle, I drove a Fiat 500 here, it's got all the electronic content, Bluetooth, uh, obviously the, the, the latest uh, audio system, and it's got uh, navigation, navigation and the whole night. It's got everything you need. And, and also on the seating side, power seating, and all those types of things. All that content is adding up. You go to China, you see content. You go to a lot of developed markets, you see content. And increasingly, you'll go to markets like India, and you'll see even more content in the future.
That's, I mean, that's such an interesting story that's going to continue to grow. I mean, you look at a 2012 Ford Focus and what's standard there, especially even like in, in the Highline model, you look back at a BMW a few years ago and it didn't have a lot of those features and it's just, you know, it just grows every year. And we're seeing, I think we're seeing consumers uh, buy that content. Some of it, um, they're forced to and, and others they're, they're opting to. And, and I think that's been the question, certainly in the small car arena, mm -hmm. will consumers pay for this additional content as they downsize or as they come into the market? And we're starting to see the answer be yes. That's a great uh, topic I think we ought to get into right now, small cars. Everyone's saying that small cars uh, sales are picking up because of gas prices being high. I wonder if there's another thing at work here and I'd like to ask you all about that. Uh, America's standard of living isn't growing like it used to. I wonder if people aren't going into smaller cars because that's now what they can afford. For those who buy new cars, they're saying, geez, I can get you know, a, a B or a C class sized car, load it up with everything, and that's why I wonder if the automakers are putting that in there. Do, am I reading this right? I, there's probably some of that, but if, let's think back a couple of years back in like 05 and 04 when people were uh, leasing Explorers and Expeditions and Durangos and, you know, and different types of sport utilities that had a lot of content. They had leather and the latest audio systems and, and a lot of content. Uh, people, for maybe the last couple of years, have gone into something else, but they, they would long for that mm -hmm. type of content. So if they are going to downsize, and by the way, leasing is still... Uh, not as hard as it used to be, but a little bit difficult. Um, they might move down into a smaller vehicle, protect themselves on the fuel economy side, but but still want that content that they had a couple of years ago. I think that's really what the OEMs are, are, are really looking at. Yeah, coming out of the recession, I think that, you know, timing. You have fuel prices relatively high. They're down a little bit from where they, they have been, but still high. You have a, a jittery consumer coming off this deep recession and you have a lot more product availability. And I think that's really why we're seeing a, uh, an accelerated push. Yeah, these small cars are a whole lot better than they were just a few no years question. ago. It's yeah. unbelievable, yeah. The, and the bigger technology. Too. Right. I mean, they're just so much bigger. I mean, a compact car is a lot different than it was a while ago. And I think what we're seeing, too, is related to the gas prices is that, of course, we're seeing a rise in subcompact and compact cars, but you're seeing demand and fuel efficiency across all the different types of segments, even if you're buying a large truck or an SUV. So I think that's the big difference between 2011 versus 2008. Last time we saw a big gas spike and everyone, you know, seemed to be making decisions in a vacuum and just bought vehicles because of gas prices. And I think there was some buyer's remorse there. But it seems like across the board now, it's, it's fuel efficiency is, is being demanded, not just in the small car arena. But what about hybrids? I mean, if people truly do want fuel efficiency, you would expect everyone to be marching into a showroom and buying a hybrid. And as you all know, mm -hmm. all hybrids combine, and I think there's now 30 hybrids and electrics mm -hmm. from well, 14 different <laughs> brands, and it's still less than... 3% of the total market. So what, what's going on here? If people really want fuel efficiency, why aren't they buying all the hybrids up? Mm -hmm. Well, I think right now, I mean, for uh, Prius makes up 50, 60 percent of the hybrid market, so I think it's an availability issue. But I think more so, it's just uh, you have electric vehicles now, you have plug-in hybrid vehicles now. The technology has evolved, and I think those people that want something, you know, the latest and greatest, it's something not a, you know, not a hybrid. A hybrid is almost mainstream, so you don't necessarily get that cachet of, hey, I own a hybrid, when it's becoming, uh, you know, more of an appliance vehicle than something truly special. I mean, it, it is in Los Angeles where I live. It's just uh, a Prius is like owning a Camry or a Corolla, yeah. very common. I think when you look across the board and, and put, put the technologies together, you know, they each have uh, different advantages and disadvantages and, and issues with, and there's still some uncertainty related to, to the battery, to range, range anxiety with consumers. Uh, 
price, I think price, it comes down to the break even. Mm -hmm. And consumers are doing their homework when they, when they look at these vehicles for the most part. Yes, you, you have the early adopters, you have those that have to have the technology, but when you get beyond that, I think it's more of an issue of, am I, am I gonna break even? Am I gonna get my money back out of this investment? Yeah. yeah. On the fuel economy side, you were saying earlier the small cars are just better and they are also more fuel efficient. So if you're really only going to be losing a couple miles per gallon by going down to a, a gasoline engine, why not just go there and pay a lot less money? And I think a lot of consumers are getting wise to that going forward. I, I think that's a great point because if you look at things like uh, the Chevy Cruze, Eco, Ford Fiesta, Hyundai Sonata, mm -hmm. they can all get 40 miles to the gallon on the highway. I'm wondering if consumers are going, that's good I'm, enough. I'm 40 is the magic yeah. number. Yeah. What do I need to get yeah. any more for, you know? Yeah. The numbers that I've, I mean, the vehicles have surpassed 30 miles per gallon, 40 miles per gallon. I mean, it's, it, they've grown immensely over the past few years. It just, you know, like to your point, it just, like, what's the point if, if I'm going to get better fuel economy on something I pay less for? Where do you all see the market for electric cars going then? We're, I think we're, I wouldn't say pessimistic, but I think we're, we're cautious on it. Uh, certainly going to grow and grow exponentially from a volume standpoint, but as a percentage of the market, uh, even in the horizon out to 2020, we, we just don't see it making up a significant portion of, of the marketplace. So, you know, well in the single digits in terms of market share. I think, interestingly, look at Volt. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, and, and I agree with him. You, you look at the build quality of the Volt, it's probably one of the nicest cars General Motors has ever put together. Interior, exterior, the way it's, it's screwed together. So I think a lot of customers look at that and say, yes, it is hybrid, and it is, does separate itself out, but it's actually a very well-engineered vehicle for what it does. And I think that's one of the caches of the vehicle and why some consumers are looking at it. So Volt may be a little bit of a, of, of a difference in that market market from that perspective. Mm -hmm. hmm. How do you see it, Jessica, especially out in the LA area, which has <laughs> got to be, you know, ground zero or maybe San Francisco too yeah. for those kinds of vehicles. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Leaf, the Vol, you, definitely, you see quite, quite a few just parked on the street uh, around the area, but uh, it, it definitely is. It's the new car to have. It's, it, you know, I think people that drive their Vol and their Leaf, they look down at the Prius driver like, <laughs> I bet you wish you had my car. And that's the thing. I mean, that's what motivated a lot of those early yeah. buyers of cars like the Prius is, you know, is to be the, you know, the, the person that cares so much about the environment. And that certainly hasn't backed off. So, um, uh, you know, I think there is opportunity there. But again, I mean, I think, you know, like Jeff was mentioning, the trade-offs, um, you know, living in an urban area, where do I plug it in? I know certainly in the condo complex where I live, there would be no, you know, no place for, for that to happen. So, um, and those are people that you want to target. So I would imagine that would be, you know, a huge roadblock. But uh, Well, that's it, this it takes planning. It takes planning yeah. To, yeah. to drive the vehicle. It does. Uh, right. you got to think ahead. Mm -hmm. because that, and that's the range anxiety exactly. that everyone's talked about. Can I get back? Can okay, I, I know I can right. get there. I can, can get I get there. back? Can I get back? Mm -hmm. uh, but that's in this country, too. Uh, China, of course, has really been pushing EVs. Do you see it catching on there more? Yeah, um, China, you know, let's face it, it's going to be basically it's a 20 million unit market, for the lack of a better word, in the next couple, next couple of years will be that level. The, the Chinese government, if they said today, by 2020, we want half of our fleet to be electric, they will not only take their market there, but they'll take the rest of the world there because then economies of scale will drive a lot of new technologies, a lot lower costs to move in that direction. So it, it's interesting. China is actually in, this, in the driver's seat when it comes to electric vehicles, and they have the power to do it if they really want to. It's a new infrastructure. They basically could, could rip it up and put it back together over the next decade and be structured to be an electric uh, structure if they need to. I, think, I agree. I think the possibility is there. The question is, will they, how far will they push it and, and how fast? Uh, but we've seen the Chinese car market slowing down uh, recently, too. Is, 
we all knew that the, the rate of growth would slow down. It was probably unsustainable, and there was all these government incentives and the like. But we actually saw for a couple of months there, sales drop. Are, are you guys reading into a big-time correction there? It doesn't sound like it. No, uh, what's happening, is, I think there's an ebb and a flow going on, but now the market's moving more towards the interior, the second and the third tier cities, and, and we still see a lot, of, a lot of strong growth in those cities. What's interesting is that the, 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 uh, the Western OEMs that are there, the Western vehicle manufacturers that are, have their partners, they're marketing under those Western brands, but as you move in, in the interior of the country, the, you, you lose the cachet of a Ford or uh, or a Buick or a Chevy as you go forward. So that's one of the reasons why they came up with these Chinese Western brands, you want to call them. And that, again, it's a lower cost, but they're also looking towards that second and third tier city as they move into the interior of the country. Yeah, I think, you know, looking at what's going on in 2011, uh, we've, we've pulled our, our expectation down for the year a little bit, but... Uh, by pulling it down, we're still over 18 million units, 18.3. So, and that's down from 19. So, yes, yeah, slowing, but but I think it's a market that needed to slow at this stage. Um, and dealing with a lot of issues going on and a lot of competitive uh, things uh, going on in China. So, I, I think uh, it, it's not something from a from long-term perspective, looking at vehicle density and just the overall population. And as this expansion moves inward, uh, it's going to be a market that's going to continue to grow. Yeah, I think my big question for China, I mean, the whole world is targeting this Chinese middle class that's up and coming, not just autos, but electronics. I mean, everything, they, you know, they want to sell them you know, high end f food chains. I mean, you know, you name it, they want to sell it. It's how much, uh, you know, how much of this uh, market can sustain all this growth in all these different areas? I think that's one of the questions I have. It's, you know, of course, I'm sure cars would be up pretty high on the, you know, growing middle class list, but it's how much money is there to go around that's, you know, that's, uh, that every company virtually in the world is trying to target you. It's, you know, it seems as if it would be pretty tight at some point. No, I agree with you. And in fact, you know, this, his this industry has a history of going into a market that's red hot, way overbuilding, mm -hmm. and then they, under yeah, and then have a, a big time hangover with excess capacity that hurts right. them for years to come. We look at emerging Asia, so it's not only China, but it's China, India, and, and what we all know as ASEAN, or the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, uh, Thailand, Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, and, and Vietnam. So when you look at that emerging Asia, th there is a tremendous amount of growth, and I think most of the strong Western OEMs need to have a footprint in emerging Asia, not right. just China, not just India, not just Thailand, but make sure that they're strong in all those markets. Yeah, that's a great point. Indonesia alone is what a country of 200 million 200 people million or people. plus. So. Unfortunately, it's on a zillion different islands, so there's, <laughs> that's true. Uh, the car market is a little bit more challenging. Yeah. 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 Right. But there's there, there's no arguing. Um, you know, India is going to be up there. They certainly have infrastructure issues that that need to be dealt with, and and deficit mm -hmm. issues that need to be dealt with. But but that's going to be a, a huge market and a market that has to has to be a global player as well. Where do you see India going? I mean, the way I kind of look at it, it's maybe where China was 10 to 15 years ago. Is that about right? And can India grow to the point that China has? We, we don't think that it, 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 won't be, it won't be the size of China. I, and, and India hasn't, hasn't taken flight yet. Um, I, I think that potential is there. There's some things holding it back. I mentioned the infrastructure. It's really the, when we look at it, it's in, and you hear this uh, three deficits that's talked about for India, which is, the, the infrastructure, the trade deficit, uh, and the budget deficit. And I think the combination of those is holding the potential back, but again, looking at vehicle density is, is at the bottom of the, of the chart for India. 
And once we start to see that investment, which is, is on, it's slated, it just hasn't happened yet uh, to the extent that it needs to be for infrastructure, we're going to see the market take off and we see a huge potential in India. The, the market's about two segments smaller. Uh, if you think, of, think about sort of Canada, the United States, where Canada's about one segment smaller, uh, India's about two segments smaller than China. So where in China, your C or your D segment vehicle, basically compact or midsize, would be your more popular vehicle. India is what we call A and B. A segment and B segment, the smallest vehicles. But the content, we were talking about content earlier, content is actually moving up in India because the emissions laws are starting to get a little stiffer. They're, they keep delaying their, uh, their, their airbag law. But now it looks like maybe 2016 for crash and for airbags. So a lot of cars will go out of commission at that point where a lot of new global designs will have to find their way into India. So the, the, the content is generally going up and, and the technology, and that's going to help India as well become part of the 21st century. Yeah, I think there's margin issues there now because of everything is, as you said, everything's skewed towards the real small end of the spectrum. And, and that's one area that needs to come up. We have to see margins come up in India. I've been uh, fascinated watching the Tata Nano coming out of India, which, <laughs> which launched at $2,500. And uh, I think it's up to 3000 right now. Nonetheless, what it's triggered a lot of people in this industry thinking about is, how do you do real low-cost cars? Maybe not $2,500, $3,000, but certainly seven dollars to $8,000, which seems to be the sweet spot in China, right. too, by the way. Mm -hmm. And what I've been fascinated is seeing even suppliers in, in this Detroit area working on high technology but at low cost. So coming up with adaptive cruise control or anti-lock brakes or stability control, but at much, much lower cost and also less performance, but it doesn't seem to matter. These, these emerging nations seem to want the latest technology as well. And uh, I'm just wondering where you all see, wh what's the possibility for a seven dollars to $8,000 car? I don't think we'll see it in the U.S. market necessarily, yeah. but elsewhere in the world. Seems like they don't have a choice. I mean, that's you know that's the way the market's going. And if you're going to target these emerging markets, and that's you know uh, clearly any company that wants to expand their global uh, footprint, which many have come out recently and said that they would like to, um, you know, that's the the choice that they're going to have to make is to invest in these markets and and, and to get those those type of things. It's a different way of thinking for us, certainly, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not in the realm of of possibility. I remember a friend, of, a friend of mine who actually knew a lot of people that designed the Nano, and of course it was designed in India, and he says that vehicle could never have been, a, never have been designed in Detroit or in Rüsselsheim or some other location because they designed it without a hatch, without a rear, with a rear, without a rear tailgate. That basically it's a fixed tailgate, you get in through the back door. And of course some engineer would hear, oh, I, I can't design a car like that, I don't know a vehicle like that. But right. it's all a mindset. And you know, for instance, Ford announced they're going to do a lot more, they want to do a lot more in Asia. I submit that they're going to have to develop more vehicles in Asia if they really want to grow that market there and not just develop in Europe or Australia or Detroit going forward. Although I got to tell you, there is an engineering firm here in town that was contracted by uh, Tata because they could not hit their cost target and they helped them. Oh, I know which one you're talking yeah, about. You know exactly which <laughs> yeah. one I'm talking about. They took about three or $400 cost out of the car. So. There's also a battery under the passenger seat, which is a little scary, by the way. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Uh, where do you all see gas prices going? I know we can throw darts at the board all day long, but uh, anybody care to take a, a shot at it? We all collectively have probably said at one point or another, that's the, probably that and exchange rates are probably the most difficult thing to forecast. 
But um, I, I, let's put it this way: they're going to whether they go up quickly or go up slowly, they're going to continue to go up. I think mm -hmm. we all know, we all see the pressures in the market. Yes, while there is a lot more fuel efficiency, there's not enough to transcend the supply of fuel out there, and there's still a lot of there's still a lot of uh, political issues and, and political problems in the world that are keep driving fuel prices up. So you know, our thought is that it's going to continue to rise, probably not to the 150, 160 area in the next two to three years, but it's going to continue to rise. And I think fuel economy is still going to be a very, very big hot button with consumers and will have to be with the vehicle manufacturers because of CAFE. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. with CAFE, um, with, with it, it's all about uncertainty, really, what it comes down to the, specula the speculators that are, that, are, that are driving everything up. Um, that's not going to go away. It's, I think it's at what level does it, does it settle and if it does settle. Um, so I, we could spend the entire program, I imagine, <laughs> yeah. on this. But I, yeah. I, I think, I think the, the likelihood for it to continue to rise is, is probably there. Um, we may see it ebb and flow um, uh, along the way, but I, but I think the, the industry needs to prepare uh, for fuel prices to be high or higher than they are today. Yeah, and, and historically speaking, I mean, coming out of a recession, I mean, that's typically what you see. So I think anyone that seems to, you know, surprised about this, I think, uh, you know, history would show that that's pretty much has been the case. And, um, you know, and in terms of the future, I think anyone taking their eye off fuel economy would be making a, you know, big decision if you want to sell and produce vehicles in this country. I'll take a contrarian view. I don't think oil prices are going to go up as high as anybody says, but I totally agree with what you just said, Jessica. Anyone who takes their eye off the ball with fuel economy is going to be toast because I'm sure you have all seen the studies uh, that consumers perceive car companies that have better fuel economy to also have better quality, <laughs> right. better styling, makes their teeth whiter, I don't know what all yeah. kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Also helps residual values of cars too, by the way. So mm -hmm. I think you're spot on with that one. And, it's uh, an image boost, there's no question. No question. Real, real fast, we're down to the last minute. Pricing, up, down, where, would, where do we see it going in the U.S. market? Who wants to go? I'll no. go. Uh, Just I, a simple up or down. Up, right? up, up. up. I, I think up, but uh, I, I think it has a lot to do with mix. I don't think uh, the pricing that we saw last month was you know, as strong as, as everyone had indicated. I think, I think pricing was, is stronger when the mix changes. So. Yeah, you have to look at make sure yeah. you look at content, but I, yeah. think, I think the trend is up. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm sorry, we've got to yeah. cut it off here, but okay. Jessica Caldwell thank from Edmonds, Michael Robinette from IHS uh, Global Insight, and Jeff Schuster from J.D. Power, thank you all. And thank you for having tuned in. <laughs>